Welcome to the Pac-12 Apostles. The 2020 college football schedule for the conference is out. There are some winners and there are going to be some people who are real pissed off. Uh, Pac-12 refs are Pac-12 refing again. Bobby Wade creates an Arizona controversy. Will the recruiting dead period help the conference and the NCAA tournament is upon us. How many Pac-12 teams get in and who deserves to be in there? And the Pac-12 cities got ranked and they got ranked completely incorrectly. So we are gonna do that here now. And of course, our ratings, uh, which are our most important thing, I think. Um, this is the Pac-12 Apostles podcast, the podcast by Pac-12 fans for Pac-12 fans where we give you the truth. Um, don't forget to listen to us as well on the right or wrong, wherever podcasts are found. And of course, do not forget to hit us up on the secret text. Also line. Do you have the number? If not, we'll give it out a little bit later in the program. And of course, if you want to get a hold of us, shoot us an email. I'm mad. I am M a D at unafraid show.com. Or, yeah, like I said, hit the, the Textoso line and also uh, share with a friend. Tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles. Make sure that you, yeah, download every episode, subscribe, all of those types of things. So, Ralph, what's up, buddy? You ready to go? Actually, oh, oh my God, I forgot. I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amsden, and this is the <laughs> Pac-12 Apostles. Hi George, how are you? I'm doing all right. What's what's the? You don't have? I don't know. I don't notice a little bit of timber or not enough excitement in your voice like you usually have. I yeah, I don't know what it is. The the Pac-12 schedule. Like I was I was kind of excited about it, and then my first uh, thing I did this morning was get up and try to make sure that it was going to record on the Pac-12 network on Sling because the Pac-12 schedule it for 8 a.m. Pacific on a Tuesday. Who does? Uh, like, okay, so that's the first thing. Wasn't that the most Pac-12 thing ever to actually schedule it during, like, during weird hours? Like, why not make it during, you know, like, hours that people are going to be home? Uh, people are, <laughs> I mean, like, for those people who are driving to work, all at 8 o'clock in the morning and then a three-hour show, that's not, that feels excessive to me. Yeah, yeah, on on uh, everybody's everybody's favorite day of the week, Tuesday, and uh, <laughs> so I, I was already like, all right, well, I, I know that I'm gonna have some stuff that I need to do around the house. I'm gonna have some errands. I'm gonna have some work to do. I'm not gonna be able to sit down and watch all three hours of this uh, in a row. So what I need to do is I need to record it. Okay, and, so so I have a question. No, yes. no, no, actually, go go ahead, tell that. Then I'll ask my question. Well, so I have Pac-12 Network on Sling. Um, which is one of the few options where you can even watch this three-hour uh, special, and uh, and and my assumption of the three-hour special was that they'd release like one team schedule at a time. They didn't do that. They dropped everybody's right at the beginning. Then they had three hours of interviews. But I was interested in hearing what some of the coaches had to say, so I wanted to record it. I go to Sling, and it's not listed on the guide as on any of the seven channels. They what? have basketball recap airing. Oh, yeah. 
they didn't update the guide on sling. So if you wanted to record it, you couldn't, you would have just had to record like four hours in a row of random programming in order to be able to get this three hours. So you had one job and that's to make sure that people who, <laughs> and I think this is probably the majority of people, people who can't watch on television at 8 AM Pacific on a Tuesday have a way to record this so that they can go and they can watch all these interviews. And they didn't even update the guide on sling for people to be able to, to, DVR it and and that that was I started out annoyed just based on that alone and then when some of the schedules came out uh, and I got just progressively more annoyed because for some reason after doing this for after covering the conference in some capacity going on year six now and after two years of doing this podcast with you um I it somehow slipped my mind that there are Thursday and Friday games so now I'm back to just being grouchy about all the usual stuff and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, my mood's a little sour. I'm gonna try to keep. Uh, I'm gonna try to elevate it for the for the show. I apologize. I don't mean to be Eeyore or anything like that. Um, but yeah, just a, a couple of things struck me the wrong way, and I think I'm still I- in that mood. Okay, so the first thing was okay, three hour show. The SEC reveal wasn't even three hours. Like that's the that's the first thing, and the Big Ten reveal wasn't even three hours. Three hours felt. Very, very excessive. But three hours could be good, but at least they released the schedule in the beginning, right? That way then you could talk about it and use it as discussion as the show evolved. So were the coaches' interviews worth it? Because I didn't see it. No, they weren't. And I don't know what I was expecting because, you know, Yogi Roth knows more about these programs than maybe anybody else. He knows the players. He even goes back and watches high school huddle. He's enthusiastic and he was well prepared and he had a lot of really good questions, but I I think 10 coaches were interviewed and the most interesting thing that anybody said, because it was pretty standard boilerplate. Like we knew who we were going to play. We just didn't know when, Um, we're going to get up for whatever it is. We're just excited to have a full season after what happened last year. We're really excited to have fans in the stands. It was pretty boilerplate responses from everybody, except for David Shaw, who who, uh, was looking at the schedule and seeing that they didn't get their third home game until week nine on Halloween. And he he pretty much was like, yeah, this sucks every single year. And that was the one time where I was like, okay, all right. Um, and then, a, so a couple of them called in by phone and a couple of them were on zoom. And then Mario Cristobal was like holding his phone up in Austin. And then that, so that was a little bit different. It's not like he said anything that was uh, revolutionary or, or, or anything like that. All in all, it was, um, pretty tame. Uh, no, I, I don't think any big newsworthy things came out. Um, there was one core, uh, one, Pac-12 coach. I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it might have also been David Shaw who said, I guarantee you we won't know who our quarterback is coming out of spring. Like we're going to make the decision after. Yeah. Um, And I I thought that was interesting, but as far as everybody else, it was really, I was excited to see Jed fish um, uh, in this role for the very first time talking about some of this stuff. And he's the same, same stuff. He's already in the role of, of uh, giving all the boilerplate answers. See, it, I would have hoped that, granted, during this schedule reveal, reveal, you have to, like if you're Yogi Roth, 
your job is to give softball questions, right? And, and, and make everybody feel good about it. But I think at the same time, you do have to bring something interesting to it and be willing to ask some tough questions. Like, so uh, the uh, first thing I got for you is, okay, so if you've not seen the schedule, we will post a link to it, all of that on the Twitter feed. Um, who do you think has out of week one, right? So all of these are non-conference games. We're going to exclude the, actually, okay. UCLA has a week zero game, so we'll include yes. that week zero as a week okay. one game too. So Arizona has BYU. Arizona State has S. Who? Southern Utah. Southern Utah. Southern Utah, which is they, oh. they got like I don't, I don't recognize that logo, bro. Like I Thunderbirds, St. George. You've been to St. George, right? Yeah. That yeah, that place is kind of awesome. Uh, they're wait, so they're in, that's where that is. Yeah, right north of the Grand Canyon. They get okay. a, they got a bunch of Arizona kids out there. Okay, uh, Cal has Nevada. Colorado has who is that? A team with a bear? Who's who's that? That's Northern Colorado. That's um the the coach McCaffrey, Ed McCaffrey. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. Yep. Yeah. His uh, son just transferred in to play quarterback. I think. Okay. Um. Some of these. The reason why I'm hesitant because I'm looking at the logos and some of them I don't recognize. Oregon plays Fresno State. Oregon State plays Purdue. Stanford plays a neutral site game against Kansas State. And UCLA, that's in um, Dallas? Yes. Okay. Uh, UCLA has Hawaii and LSU. USC has San Jose State. Utah has, I don't even know who the, who the hell that is. Was it like that's, Prairie View? That's Aiden Weber. No, no, no. That's Weber. Oh. Weber State, okay, okay. Dame They're a playoff Miller. team. They're a playoff team. Um, Washington has Montana, and Washington State has Utah State. Who do you think has the best Week One game? I, hmm, I kind of like. So we're we're including we're including uh, Todd Graham coming and and playing in L.A. Yeah. Uh, and so we're not counting that LSU. No, no, UCLA no, no. Matchup. We're we're giving we're giving them a both because there's no other way to do it. I guess. Oh, then I guess it's UCLA um, because they get that early, and so all eyes are going to be on them. And then of everybody playing a week one game, you know LSU had a down year last year, but they're absolutely stacked. And uh, and UCLA is supposed to be on the come up. I think this is year four of Chip Kelly. Yep. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think that it's a pretty big gap between UCLA, LSU, and whoever would be second. And I think that's arguably Oregon State, Stanford, or Arizona. Um, that Arizona game is really important because BYU is practically a Pac-12 team this year. Um, by my count, I think they play five different Pac-12 schools. They play Arizona, um, Arizona State, Utah, Washington State, and USC finishes their season um, against BYU. Yep. Yeah. So that's yeah. They're basically a Pac-12 school. So okay. So how many of those Week One games are must wins out of all those thirteen games, including the Hawaii game in Week Zero? How many of those are must wins for the Pac-12? Uh, well, you don't want to see anybody draw, and I, I feel like they drew some tough opponents. Then again, I'm a big Sky and Mountain West fan, and you can make fun of me for that all you want, George. But I do think some of these opponents are tough. Um, 
I think that Cal Nevada, that's a that's a big time must win because Jay Norvell, he was rumored to 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 be connected to the to Arizona job. Um, and you know they kind of have something special brewing in there. They, they, they lost some of their staff to Montana State, but I do think that uh, Cal's going to want to start strong, especially because they have to hit the road um, and go play TCU that next week. So I think that's very important for them. Um, I don't think there's any chance that Northern Colorado beats Colorado, if I'm being honest. Um, Fresno State isn't the same Fresno State that used to be super dangerous on the road, but they're still good. Um, you wouldn't want Oregon to, to falter in that. Um, but I don't think I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't upset me if Stanford lost to, to Kansas state wouldn't upset me if Oregon state lost to Purdue. Um, I think that the, if we're talking about what, what the biggest must win is, it might be Arizona against BYU in Las Vegas because there are some people who believe Arizona might struggle to even get a Pac-12 win yeah. this year. And so they really got to set the tone and come out strong. And it doesn't get easier for them with uh, San Diego State the next week. And then an NAU team that almost put 50 up on them two years ago uh, um, coming in, in in week three. So I would say that University of Arizona probably is in the biggest must-win situation Um in week one, because you don't want them to be in a position where they have the potential to, to go uh, over in their major non-conference games and in conference. Oh, see, I look at the, the must wins as Oregon must win against Fresno state. USC must win against San Jose state, Washington against Montana, Washington state versus Utah state, UCLA versus Hawaii. Um, Colorado against Northern Arizona. Cal must beat Nevada. Uh, Arizona, Southern Utah. Like I think that all of those are must wins. I think that the Oregon State game would be good. Like, like, like I think that that would be a yeah a good win because Purdue's going to beat some Big Ten teams. And I, if you want the type of national because LSU is going to be better this year than they were last year. If you want to start the train off right, I'm going to circle that UCLA-LSU game. They don't have a for-sure quarterback yet. This is not a guaranteed, like this is, and Chip Kelly's team appears to be better. That's the game, and oh, oh, sorry, I and I forgot, Stanford has to beat Kansas State. So, you think so? Oh my God, yes. Dude, because Kansas State's going to finish in the middle of the Big 12. And Stanford needs to be better than they were last year. So Stanford has to win, period. So I would I would say that that Stanford game, aside from the other ones that should be layups, that's the must-win game. And the Oregon State game is second. And then uh, UCLA beating LSU would be a bonus. You're kind of talking me into this Oregon State thing because if they beat Purdue – then you have to assume they have a pretty good chance to to knock out Hawaii and Idaho. Yeah. Um, even though both of those teams have some talent. And and it would be really cool for the conference to have a three and Oregon State going into week four against a potentially three and with with two very good victories, USC, if USC is able to beat Stanford at home and Washington State on the road. Three and Oregon State against three and USC um, in week four that'd be some 
big time must watch television that the Pac-12 would probably find some way to make kickoff at nine in the morning on uh, on Pac-12 Network. <laughs> at least it would be in L.A. and not in the fog or something. Um, OK, uh, the, the week two games. Well, actually, let's just finish up the, the rest of the non-conference in general. Um, you have the, the other big games that you have, Arizona at San Diego State, which is that can be a game that can catch an L right there. Um, obviously, the five BYU games that we brought up, but then Cal plays TCU. I think that that's a, a must-win game. And USC plays USC plays I, I well they they obviously always have Notre Dame on their schedule as a non-conference game. So they have Notre Dame, San Jose State and BYU. Utah has San Diego State, Weber State and BYU. Washington has Montana, Arkansas State and Michigan. Michigan on the road. Yep. Because they're in the same situation as Oregon, where Ohio State was supposed to play. They were supposed to play Ohio State at home. Washington was supposed to play Michigan at home in 2020. But obviously, the pandemic killed that. So out of the rest of the non-conference games. uh, Oh, and then Colorado plays Texas A&M. So out of TCU, Texas A&M, Ohio State. uh, Who is that? Who else? Michigan. Arkansas State, who won't just be a pushover, aside from the BYU games and the Notre Dame games against Stanford and USC, which are the most important? Oh, and Colorado has Minnesota, too. Yeah, um, uh, Colorado, Minnesota, I think is is important. They go they go Texas A&M and Minnesota back to back, followed by ASU and USC. Colorado's had a few years in a row where, where they've been better early in the season than they have been late in the season. I have a feeling based on this schedule that's coming to an end um, because this is this early schedule is brutal. Uh, Texas A&M at a neutral site, home against Minnesota, at ASU, and then home against USC before they get a bye. And then even then they got, uh, you know, two weeks after the bye, they got uh, Cal and Oregon back-to-back on the road. So um, it's definitely a very difficult schedule for, for Colorado. Um, and if they can hang with this schedule, then we know that Carl Durrell's for real. Uh, but I think that the most important non-conference game, just as far as um, the legitimacy of the conference overall, are we going to have a strong North contender and a strong South contender, is uh, the Oregon game against Ohio State, the game that didn't get to be played last year. Uh, and And because, you know, Oregon's got some unsettled things and so does Ohio state. So there's enough mystery there that you could convince me that Oregon potentially has a decent shot in this game. And Ohio state actually has a couple of players from the PAC 12 footprint that, um, that it would be nice for, uh, Oregon. Yeah. G Scott, uh, potentially Jack Miller starting at quarterback. If he's able to win that job, um, they got a really, really good strong safety out of Tucson, Arizona as well. And so Lathan Ransom is his name. It would be really, really uh, good for just recruiting overall for the Pac-12 
if Oregon was able to uh, show those recruits who left the Pac-12 footprint to go to Ohio State. Uh, Keon Grays is another one, the number one receiver out of Arizona, yeah. just committed to uh, just committed to Ohio State. It'd be really good to show those recruits that maybe they should have stuck around um, and, and played within the Pac-12 footprint. So I think that game's incredibly important. I don't have, I just don't have as much weight on that Kansas State neutral site game as as you do, probably because it's Week One. Um, and you don't really know who you're gonna be in in week one. I think some of these big games be in week two, whether it's Colorado, Texas A&M, or Oregon, uh, Ohio State, or Washington at Michigan. Uh, Washington beating Michigan at Michigan could probably um, really set up the narrative that this would be Harbaugh's last year out in Ann Arbor. Uh, so that'll be super interesting, and it would be Jimmy Lake's opportunity to win over a lot of the fan base that seems to. Um, seems to be given up on the Huskies, even though there haven't, there haven't really been all that much for them to do or prove because of the COVID-19 shortened season. Um, So I feel like Jimmy Lake's kind of getting a raw deal from the, the Huskies fan base. And maybe some Washington fans can reach out to me and let me know why I'm wrong about that. Um, But I I think their grievances are about the, the recruiting because they just lost two recruits when they were off when they were both offered by USC and Oregon. Right. They both they both decommitted after being a thousand percent committed. And then yeah, so their recruiting has been down and it doesn't and it they're not having any momentum going forward. And then there's also questions about the offense, even though they do believe Heward will be able to come in and they think he'll be the guy going going forward. But he over is a under freshman. over under thirty points scored in that game. In which game? Washington, Michigan. <laughs> okay. We're about to get the old, old good, uh, right? Army Navy ten to seven score. Oh, that's that's entirely possible because neither team has a potent offense. So you de- and Michigan's defense has been pretty good, and you assume that they'll be back to normal um, with a non-pandemic season. Maybe but they you- took a pretty big risk uh, letting Don Brown go, who's now at, at University of Arizona. Yeah, yeah, that was huge, dude. That was absolutely huge. Um, so with the uh, schedule, though, who do you think has the toughest schedule out of all the teams? Colorado, Colorado. Colorado, uh, okay, so people think that this is an ASU plug or whatever. I think ASU's schedule is stupid. I don't think it's harder than Colorado's. Um, I am easing up on my belief that USC's schedule was extra tough. I had them as uh, as having one of the, the harder six schedules. I, I split it into six that I feel um, – are more favorable and six that I feel are more challenging. Yeah. Uh, and I, I had USC on the more challenging end and I, I feel like I could probably flip them to maybe be um, on the, on the other side of that. The more that I look at it, especially because they get, uh, they do travel to Notre Dame after the buy and they get Utah at home and Utah really struggles in LA. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of switching gears on thinking that USC got a, a raw deal on here. But to me, the hardest schedule uh, looks like University of Colorado. And then I just absolutely hate Arizona State's schedule the way that it shook out. They have to visit Utah twice. Um, they have two 
Pacific Northwest games on the road in the month of November. Yeah, uh, that's rough. They, dude. yeah, and they also have two weekday home games, a Thursday and a Friday. Oh. And s- somehow a bunch of these Pac 12 teams actually ended up with no weekday football games at all, which I absolutely love. But I don't love that some of these teams are playing two of them. And even yeah, University so, of Arizona tweeted yeah, out, like, that, yo, we got two Friday games. Like, please don't celebrate that. <laughs> don't celebrate Friday football because it sucks. Like, college teams have no business playing on Fridays. So Oregon State has no weekday games, and neither does USC. And okay, you, see, I don't think UCLA does either. Nope. See, here's here's the thing I like about this. I love that because I the thing I love about this schedule is I feel like the Pac-12 finally listened to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast and was like, we are going to craft our schedules instead of let it, scheduling for parity, right? So you should, and, and, and mind you, there are some teams that are going to be upset about this. Like Arizona State is in the same position that Texas A&M and Tennessee are in every year in the SEC. They're, they're like, why do you do us like this? Like, why do you do this to us? You give us the, like, you'll give us Georgia and Alabama and back-to-back weeks, and they're like, and they're both on the road. And you're just like, why? And Alabama gets layups, just layup after layup. Georgia typically gets layup after layup. And that's what I thought the conference did with USC. So their bye is after six games. They have four home games. And then they have their bye. And then after their bye, they go into Notre Dame. Like they go to Notre Dame with a bye. Thank you. Thank you, conference, for doing the right thing. Um, And then they come back with an easier uh, non-conference game. Well, not not if you look at the 2020 result, but with Arizona. (laughs) And then they get Arizona State, Cal, UCLA, and BYU last two games at home. And I'm like, yeah, they don't have to leave the state of California for the last. Well, no, they leave to go to to Tempe. Yeah, but in the last five weeks, the only time they leave the state of California is to go to Tempe. Yeah, dude, that's, that's nice. money. Yeah, and Colorado, he- Colorado on the road is the one where you're like, ah. But it's early enough in the year. Yeah, I'm, yeah the you're, you're changing we... my mind on this. USC has a really favorable schedule. It's not Oregon level favorable. Whoa, <laughs> whoa! We'll we'll get to the favor boys, man. <laughs> All right. So UCLA's schedule is not bad either. They don't have any weekday games. They play LSU and Hawaii, and then they get a bye after LSU, which is favorable. But then, uh, then they get Fresno State. Then they have three. Ooh, actually, that's a little rough, rough stretch after that Fresno State game because they play Fresno State at home, Stanford on the road, ASU at home, Arizona away, Washington away, come back with Oregon at home, and then Utah away. And then, but then they get another bye. So actually, that's as, about about as good good as you can get, right? Like in terms of because they do have two buys. Yeah, they they have two buys. Um, they don't have to go to the cold in Boulder. They get to host. Um, and and uh, 
Yeah, so I think the toughest stretch for UCLA is actually having Washington, Oregon back-to-back, um, and then followed by Utah immediately. So they have that, I think they have that really hard three-game stretch. Yeah. Um, but if I'm UCLA, I look at this, and I feel pretty good about it. I mean, especially comparatively. If you look at, like, what happened to Stanford um, – <laughs> Stanford getting their third home game uh, on October 30th. <laughs> but the, but isn't this some of Stanford's fault, though, in that in that they scheduled Kansas State at a neutral site and, and they scheduled Vanderbilt away? Like, you don't get enough. So they only have – well, they, well they, they get Notre Dame at home, too, but teams typically try to get a seventh home game. But instead, they have six home games and six away games. I feel like this is a very Stanford-like thing to do, and it doesn't make sense. Yeah, so five of their first seven are away from home, and the ones they do have at home are UCLA and Oregon. Uh, Before they go into the bye, then they get Washington and Utah at home, but the Utah game's on a Friday. Then they got to go to Corvallis, host Cal, and then they're at Notre Dame. And I think, yeah, playing, I, I don't know, it could wear on them. I mean, this is the team that practiced in a park or whatever. And someone did point out to me that Stanford students don't actually really start until um, school until September. So there wouldn't be a ton around to go to these home games if they did plan on showing up to the games in the first place. Um, but I still, I feel like, I feel like Stanford's schedule above all else, especially when you look at the fact that they don't get their third home game until October 30th, you kind of, it leaves you scratching your head a little bit. Absolutely. And that Friday night game. So they go Friday night. Well, their, their second Friday night game. Oh, wow. Actually Stanford goes UCLA, Oregon at home. Then they, after Oregon, they play Friday night. That's whack. That's whack. On the Again, road. On Friday the ro- night on the road after Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, David Shaw gets to be bad about that for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Let's look at the Washington schedule. Okay. What do you think about their, their schedule? They go Montana, Michigan away. Arkansas State at home. Cal at home. Oregon State on the road. Then, then they get a bye. That's a very comfortable beginning of the stretch season. If they can beat Michigan on the road, there's a pretty good chance they can they they have the ability to go into their bye at five and zero. Oh. Uh, Montana is a good FCS team. They do not have the talent to compete with Washington. Arkansas State is breaking in a brand new head coach, I believe, because their head coach went to Utah State. Yep. Um, and then being able to play cat, and I know Cal has. Uh, giving them fits, but they do get that game at home. And this time there should be fans. <laughs> and so, uh, and, and I think that's a winnable game on the road at, at Corvallis. There's a possibility that Washington goes into the buy at five and zero. If I'm a Washington fan, I would expect to be no worse than four and one headed into that buy. And then you kind of get to regroup and you see that there's definitely some winnable games there. Um, Would it be completely out of the realm of possibility, George, for Washington to be entering uh, playing the Oregon at home undefeated? It's possible, right? I mean, it's it's possible, but how about that stretch after the the bye? UCLA at home, Friday night at Arizona, Stanford away, and then come back with Oregon. 
I think that yeah. Washington fans are going to be upset about that. Yeah, they're probably not going to like that. Two games in uh, two <laughs> two games um, on the road, and then having to play Oregon. And you know, conversely, um, Oregon has a, a home game against Colorado the seven regular seven days off before Washington. And so I think if 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 they're making it a a thing of comparison, then they're probably not going to like that too much. But I think that overall the schedule works out pretty well for Washington. I do think that it's a tough one. Um, but I mean, they, their road games at Tucson, at, uh, Palo Alto and at Boulder, especially in the second half of the season, those are all winnable games. I think the, the majority of Washington's tougher games outside of playing against Michigan are going to be at home. And that's a, 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 could be a big advantage for them. So long as we have fans back in the stands. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that that's the caveat, right? Yeah. Um, the thing that they're not going to be, ha- um, yeah, that little stretch at the end, cause they always complain about when they play Oregon and what Oregon had to play before them. Cause I think Oregon's schedule is probably aside from USC, the, the second most cushiest in the conference. No, it's number one. What? You like being number one, George, just take it. Oregon. Well, I, number one. By how's far. it the cushiest? You got <laughs> you got a non-con outside of Ohio State against <laughs> Nevada and Fresno State, but you get them both at home. No, no, so you, n- no, it's not Nevada. Oh, that's right. It's Stony yeah, Brook. It Stony so you're Brook. right. No, you're right. It is tougher if you're Oregon because you have to play Stony Brook. Um, yes, which of- I just learned that they had football. Uh, <laughs> They're really good in baseball. They have a national championship. Okay, okay. I I I don't know what that has to do with this, but I, I feel you. <laughs> Um, okay. So what have been some of the issues for, um, university of Oregon in previous years, visiting Arizona, right? They don't, they don't even play Arizona state at all. So you don't have Arizona state on your schedule and you don't have to go to Tucson. Uh, you have a bye week before the Cal game and you get to play that at home. And then, but it is on a Friday. It is on a Friday, but you got the bye week before. So you get 13 days to prepare for Cal at home and then eight days to go on the road to play UCLA. Then you don't have to go to Boulder. You get the Buffaloes in Eugene. That's huge. And it's a little bit softer of a pre-rivalry week game than I think Washington has uh, leading to going into play at Seattle. And I think playing at Seattle is probably the toughest thing I see about this, about this schedule, because then you get Washington state at home and then Utah, Utah's schedule is fairly brutal. Um, especially considering the fact that they have a road game at Palo Alto and at Tucson before they have to turn around and, and host uh, Oregon. I think it, by that point in the season, um, let's see, because Utah's bye comes pretty oh, early. Hold on. So by the time they play Oregon, oh, they will have played their, five their weeks in a row. Things too. Oh my Utah's god! Utah's things. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they play Weber State at BYU at San Diego State, home for Washington State bye week at USC, home for Arizona State. Yeah, Utah has to go to SoCal twice. They're not for some reason they're not good there. No, 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 no. no. They they only go once. No, they got San Diego State on the oh, road. Oh, jeez. See, uh, you can't. And, and for some reason, the Pac-12 has not learned. Just please stop scheduling the Aztecs. Yes. Either bring San Diego State into the conference or just leave them alone. Yep. 
and then they go uh, Arizona State, Oregon State away, UCLA at home. And here, here's the stretch that Utah fans are going to be like, really? Really, Pac-12? <laughs> so they play uh, UCLA at home. Then they Six play. Six days rest. Yes, at Stanford on a short week. And then, because they play Friday. And then at Arizona State. And then against Oregon, and then on on a short week against Colorado, the week after that. How's that sound for you, buddy? And that's their seventh game in a row? Yes. Without a bye? Yeah. No, Utah's schedule is impressive. I mean, they they never... No, no. That's eight games in a row at at Colorado. (laughs) Their last game. With two of those games on short rest. Yep. Including one quote unquote rival. I mean, we keep trying to make Colorado Utah a rivalry, but if we're being honest, it's uh, the real Utah rivalry is probably BYU. ASU or oh, BYU for sure. Yeah. But in conference, it's starting to seem more and more. Um, seems like there's more passion uh, involved in the Arizona State game than there is in the Colorado game. Okay. So now, how are you feeling? I. Do you really believe that Oregon got the easiest schedule? I do. Not that any of this is easy, but you don't have to go to the state of Arizona, and that's been a huge problem for them. Their Friday game comes after a bye. Uh, and I it, honestly, like the toughest thing on here to me seems to be the Utah road game. But then if you look at what Utah is going through, <laughs> when when Oregon is set to show up in Salt Lake City, that looks much more advantageous than just if you say, hey, we got Utah on the road in late November. It's not going to be easy for Oregon by any means. Yeah. But if Oregon has established a running game, then they have a really good shot. Um, to, to th- This schedule sets up well for Oregon. The, uh, there's a couple of schools on here that I feel like could probably make some excuses for the lumps that they might take, which is um, having back-to-back Pacific Northwest games for um, for Arizona State. I, I absolutely hate that, th- th- those coming in November. Because um, even if they do find a way to beat USC, then you got to stay up to go to Seattle the very next week. Yeah. Um, so, but so yeah, who I do feel I do feel that way. I feel like um, I also really like Oregon State's schedule, but then you have to factor in the talent level that Oregon State has, and the fact that none of these are going to be easy um, by any means. But they do get two home games in November against Washington State and Utah, um, or I'm sorry, against Stanford and Arizona State, and I feel like that. Um, that could give them the ability to get some late season wins that have really escaped them in previous years. Okay. So who do you, okay. So we, we, we went over who we think has the easiest schedule. You think it's Oregon and USC, right? USC has grown on me as one of the easier ones. Yes. You talked me into it for sure. Yeah. So did the conference do a good job overall with this schedule? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, probably, probably the only thing that bothers me is this is the typical stuff, right? Like short, <laughs> the couple of short notice Friday games on the road. Yeah, that people have like Utah at Stanford. Um, let's see, if we can find another one. Uh, Colorado at Utah. 
um, uh, University of Arizona <laughs> goes to Pullman on six days rest after hosting the Utes. Uh, yeah, that type of stuff is always super annoying. At least Washington State follows up their um, Friday game hosting University of Arizona with a Friday game um, going to Seattle. So at least they get the full uh, rest in between their travel game. Um, but even Stanford has a short rest um, at ASU, which, you know, it's just the, the short rest Fridays and Fridays in general are absolutely terrible. Thursday night games are just beyond stupid. We only have a couple of those. Yeah. It looks like ASU Southern Utah and Weber State Utah and, are Thursday games. Yeah. See, okay, I, if I count it correctly, there are 15 midweek games out of the 133 total games. 15. So you got more than 10% of the games that are on week weekdays, which I – which everybody knows that we that we hate hate so so much but uh, that notwithstanding because that's the tv contract that they're in right now there's not a new commissioner yet so we we can't even gripe about that because it is what it is at this point um i wonder how many of these games are then going to be 9 a.m games and overall i think the conference did a good job because it made sure it protected its biggest brands in USC, UCLA, and Oregon. That that it didn't put Oregon's the only one that, that even had out of those three that even has a weekday game. Uh, they are going to, you know, they have marquee games. These are your best teams, your most visible brands. And those are the teams that should get the more favorable schedules, I believe, the same way that the SEC does. I'm sorry, but every year, and, and those are the teams that project to be the best as well. If you, if it were Washington that had been recruiting like Oregon and had won the Pac-12 championship back-to-back -back years, I would say that they should lean toward having a, the more favorable schedule. I, I because if you're projected to be better, that means that the conference overall is going to look look better. So from this, do you believe that there are any teams that have a chance to win the that get to the playoff? BYU has a pretty good chance. Are we are we covering BYU this year? What what is going on? Is this going to be a Pac-13 year? Five games. I mean, we got to consider it. Yeah. All right. So so look. I think that, okay, here, here will be the deal. There are, BYU plays the Pac-12 in week one against Arizona, week two at Utah, week three at Arizona State. If they go three and oh, they're, they're in the Pac-12. They are part of the Pac-12 apostles. Do you, do, do you think that we should for this season if they go three and oh? Okay, so we got conditional inclusion. I mean, we're going to know a ton about this team anyway because they're, just always around. Um, but yeah, if they go three, if they go three, and zero, I think we have to make them an honorary member for the rest of the season. We <laughs> like, would have like to consider we, them playing in the, if they go five and zero, they belong in the PAC 12 championship. Yes. And we, we even talked about the potential for including Hawaii last year. Remember, 
But then Hawaii did right. not win that third game to be able to be included. So, And they didn't get to play that first game at Tucson, which I was super excited about. Todd Graham re, uh, uh, re-emerging in Tucson um, for a weird version of the, of the Territorial Cup. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, so I'm happy that Hawaii is actually included in all of this and we get to kick the season off. Um, seeing a, a former Pac-12 head coach in Todd Graham make the trip out to LA, uh, that that might be a. I mean, you're probably going to be there, right? Probably. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's a zero week game. Absolutely. Unless my kids playing, I will be there. Is uh, it a Friday? Is it a is it a Friday game? It's not. It's a Saturday no, game. No, so. it's a Saturday game. Yeah. So Ooh. I will likely be there. Um. The next thing up, though, oh, are, are, well, you didn't answer the question. Do, do any of the teams have a chance to make the playoffs? Um, I have, I'm, you're going to be calling me a hater all year long. I have a lot of doubts and questions about the 2021 Oregon Ducks. I feel oh, very because, good. Because Tyler Shug left. I get it. I know, no, I know. no, I know. I'd have the same. No, qu- I'd have the no, same questions. Fine. I'd have the same questions because I watched them play last year. Okay. <laughs> I, it, Here's my deal. They, for as much as a back and forth as, as you and I had all year long about their running back situation and whether Die was any good or not, that shouldn't be what they're I doing. I didn't say he wasn't good. I said he's not elite. You say he's short. No, it's not even, a fact, a, it's not even <laughs> a fact that he's short and small and doesn't break tackles. It's the fact that he's not special. He's a, He's a good running back. He's a okay. decent running back, but he's he's just not a game breaker. I do think that CJ Ver- Verdell is a better back. And okay, so me too. And if CJ Verdell in, is not going to be a featured part of the offense, I have serious questions about the 2021 well, Oregon he, Ducks. He will be featured. He was just hurt. Okay. This last year. Like that was the that was why we saw very little of him and they were trying to play him some so he could leave, but that didn't work out. Um, I think that Washington has a chance to make the playoffs. I, I don't think they're good enough to, but I think their schedule sets up. They, if they beat Michigan, beat Oregon, and only lose one game to not either Montana or Arkansas State, and that that they'll make the playoff at 12 at 12 and one with a Pac-12 championship. I think that Oregon is going to have enough juice. If they, if they beat Ohio state, even if they lose a Pac-12 game, they will be in the playoff and USC. If they beat Notre Dame, BYU and only lose. And let's say they lose to UCLA or Arizona state they will be fine, I think, for the playoffs. I think that those are the four teams. Oh, no, sorry, the uh, three teams that have a shot to win, to to make the playoffs. Obviously, you would have to include UCLA in that conversation if they beat USC. I'm sorry, if they beat LSU. Okay. Even um, though I don't think that they're good enough to do it, I think that their schedule and their they have enough brand recognition if those things happen that they would get in. All right. I got a super dark horse for you. And I want to see if you can guess it before I say it. Arizona state. No, 
<laughs> I, I mean, all all things come back to Arizona State, or or oh, who is it? who is it? Arizona, because all things come back to you for the state of Arizona. Let's make it about Arizona State. I think that there's a legitimate chance for Washington State to be eight and zero going into their game in Tempe. If Jared Bro, Guarantano stop. is the real deal, if he is the real Jared deal, Jared Guarantano is not the real deal. We saw him not passing. I mean, granted, he'll be in a whole different system. Yeah, but who's to I say that Jaden De- Delora isn't going to start anyway? You, you, you I would just, love for that to be the case. I would love for that to be the case, and I hope that he does. I hope that he does, and I think that he would give them a better chance to win in that offense. What I'm saying is. Can you tell me that it's not outside the realm of possibility when you look at their early schedule, if they find a way to upset USC, that they could go into the game against Arizona State being 8-0? and No, no chance. No chance. Who are they going to lose to? They can, they can legitimately, aside from Portland State and Utah State, because they just lost a coach, they lost, they're down players. Aside from those two games, they can literally lose every single week. I mean, like it's it's a it's a pick'em game, except for against USC, who will be favored. Cal might be favored. Stanford will likely be be favored. You're not going to sneak by all of those games. It's not happening. So so that's the reason why I, I don't know who it'll be, but somebody's beating them. It might even be Oregon State. They're not skating by their first eight games undefeated every single year i make a bold prediction and every single year i get close you gotta admit that i get close and my prediction this year is that washington state is gonna flirt with nine wins which to me would make them a dark horse contender if they can flip a couple of the ones that i feel like they're gonna lose to do something really special all right okay well my dark horse to win this uh because you need to stay away from picking the the north as we know it's <laughs> um, fair. Uh, but this year, though, I promise you, I'm going to demolish you in the pickums. I'm, I'm telling you, I have, I have resolved myself. Um, Would you consider? So, if if you beat me by the margin that I beat you last year, would you consider that demolishing? I have no recollection of the events in question <laughs> because it was a pandemic year. Um, okay. Okay, so the next thing up, our re- our reviews. We had some new reviews. Do you have them up? No, but I, I, I can get them up. I didn't realize people still listen to this show. That's exciting. What are you talking about, dude? This is the most popular Pac-12 podcast, period. Right, I know, but I just thought this whole thing was an excuse for me and you to hang out. All right, let's see. So we got, I, got, I got iTunes pulled up. I got a few shows that I listen to and pack 12 a pot. Do you believe I listen to this show, George actually go back and I listen I to too. it. I never do that with anything else that I'm on. Uh, but I, I, I it, it also helps me remember what we talked about. <laughs> okay. So uh, we got, it looks like we got a few. Yep. Um, uh, let's go with uh, shuck is the title of the review because you have me reading it, I'm going to pronounce it correctly. Um, and it's from five underscore zero underscore three, which I believe is the area code for Oregon, Portland. correct? Yep. Yeah. Portland. Portland. Okay. Um, great. Well, listen actually, if- actually, and you, and Eugene as well. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, great listen if you're a Pac-12 fan. Kind of surprised to see Tyler Shuck transfer. Wish him the best, although I do believe the Ducks quarterback situation will be fine going forward. Do you guys have any guesses as to where he will land? I guess yes. that'll, we'll talk about that. Or where you would like to see him land, I definitely still think he can be a solid quarterback. Let's get into that, George. Uh, how, do, how do you feel about him going to Lubbock, Texas? Uh, Did it catch you off guard? It, I think it, it surprised me. Um, the, the first thing I thought was, oh my God, if he's a super senior and he's still there, he'll get to play against Oregon. That was, a that first was your thing. first thought. We were on the phone when it happened and you I was were like, like oh, I think they play. <laughs> yeah. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind that at all. I wish the kid. Well, I think that he needed a reset. He's still very talented. If he can fix his contact courage, this will be an NFL quarterback. Um, Texas Tech has a quarterback that I think I really yes, like. Bowman and they have Bowman and the the other kid. I forgot his name. Let me see if I can. Um, yeah, I know Alan Bowman, but they they uh they had gotten another. Yeah, maybe he played he, last year. Maybe he transferred. When, they had gotten when, a kid that I thought would be really perfect in the offense that they had before they made a coaching change, and I don't. It's so hard to keep track of these quarterbacks, George. That they're bouncing everywhere all the time. Um, Sonny Cumbie, I think, is a is an interesting person to be under because he ran the air raid system, I think, under Mike Leach at Texas Tech. And I don't know if I see Tyler Shuck being more of the traditional air raid guy. Um, I don't know. Maybe you feel differently. They have a Utah State transfer, Henry Columbia, um, Maverick McIver. That's him. Redshirt freshman Maverick McIver. I love this kid. Uh, I think that uh, I think that he deserves a legitimate shot to be the starter there. They also have a freshman out of uh, Las Vegas named Donovan Smith. But Maverick McIver, I think, um, is is the guy that, uh, that that I'm interested to see what he can do. They also have Brylan Lawson Young, um, who is from Dodge City Community College, but I guess originally. Uh, from Lubbock, Texas. So you got you got a hometown element there. Um, and then you have, I think, a walk-on, a couple of walk-ons in Parker McNeil and Baron Mor- Morton. Um, I don't know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting because they wouldn't bring him in if they didn't believe that he had the ability to come in and start yeah. right away. Maybe they don't like this McIver kid as much as I do, but um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how he'll fit in the offense. Um, it's definitely an interesting city and college town with him already having two degrees. He's going to be, uh, he's going to be the resident old man on campus. Um, I, I, it, it continues the tradition of Arizona quarterbacks being in the big 12. He's going to have Spencer Rattler on his schedule. He's going to have, um, Brock Purdy on his schedule. And then he's going to, I mean, he, he's going to have to prove himself against university of Texas as well. Uh, if he doesn't grab that starting job right away oh that's no bueno then i think that it would probably have been a mistake but i will say he had plenty of options i think he had something like 16 uh offers to transfer um within the first couple of hours of announcing that he was leaving university of oregon and so i I did think that this was a really interesting pick and i'm fascinated to see how it works out i do not think he'll be there three years from now though yeah, I I doubt he will as well because if he's there three years from now, that means he didn't play as well as or 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 he got injured. You know, it, it would be some not positive results that would have resulted in this. Um, okay, so I think we got one more review. 
Yes, we do. Let me check that one. Thank you, 503, for the review, by the way. Yeah, uh, that was and, a five, and, it was oh, a five hold star. Hold on. And I wanted to, uh, yes, that's not the area code for Eugene. It's 541. I don't know what I was thinking. Portland's 503. All right. Uh, Scrote Duck. And I'm going to assume that Scrote is a, uh, a reference to not a scrotum. Uh, Pure Entertainment! Exclamation point is the title of this review. This is also a five-star review, um, uh, and it is our fiftieth overall rating. So, congratulations to Scrote Duck. Uh, he says, "Hey, it's Bobby from Tampa. Every day, I refresh my list of podcasts, waiting for a new episode of the Pac-12 Apostles to pop up. And when it does, I am never disappointed. Not only are George and Ralph articulate and knowledgeable." But the way Ralph deeply explains things on such a simple and hilarious level, it's worth <laughs> listening to just for the laughs. Okay, I gotta know. You gotta amend this this for, and I haven't finished reading it yet. But simple can be convenient, and it can be like simple Jack simple. So I'm gonna need you to amend the review so that I know what you mean. No, he's he's saying that you explain things in a very simple yet complicated manner, like that. And that's one of the things I like about listening to you is that you have really good analogies and I appreciate them. Okay. I just, I've, I was wondering if we were going the simple Jack route. That's all. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> uh, shout out to uh, uh, Ben Stiller. Um, okay. Uh, it's worth listening to just for the laughs. I also love when George could really care less about a comment or idea. And he says, that's a thought. Okay. <laughs> we're going to get into that in a second. As soon as I finish this review, we're going to get into that, that, phrase that you use because i hate it so much so let me let me go back i also love when george could really care less about a comment or idea and he says quote that's a thought unquote and then moves on to the next topic ha 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 that's awesome commentary in my opinion anyway keep up the awesome work informing the listeners about the pack 12 and hopefully one day we will rise from the depths of despair five-star podcast all day long and hashtag go ducks loyal listener bobby from tampa okay so first thing bobby Incredible. Thank you for being our 50th review. Uh, really appreciate you. Second, let's get into this phrase because I don't know if we've talked about it on this no, podcast that you and I have actually had a discussion on how odd that phrase hits me <laughs> because there's nowhere you can, when you say that's a thought, I can't play off that. Like, it's just like, okay, I thank you f- for your brain working, but I'm not processing this information. Let's move on. <laughs> it's so dismissive i didn't even realize it at first i did you even know you were doing it no no i didn't know i did it to you i realized that i did it to a guy I do on fox sports radio with damn damn buyer because i said it and dan was like <laughs> whoa whoa that was cold-blooded buddy and so and i don't know whether that ingrained it more in my repertoire but the first time you hit me with with it, I don't know if we were on a recording anything or not, but I, I think my response was like, is it? <laughs> what? That's a cool review because that's a that that is definitely a thing that we have talked about off air. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And we, we were just talking about it the other day, which made it even better. So, uh, yeah. So if you guys want to borrow the phrase occasionally. You know, but but you you have to make it count when you do. Oh, it's a it. conversation ender. <laughs> huh. That's a thought. All right, so <laughs> um, now on to the recruiting dead period. 
So the recruiting dead period has been moved back. And so um, players can't take official visits right now. And, and even from the 2022 class, because, and that's notable because you have two Pac-12 teams technically still in on a 2022 recruit in JT Tuomalau. And he's the number one, number two, number three, no matter what site you look at, player in the nation. And Ralph wondered if that, if the lack of a, well, the recruiting dead period being moved back so then they can't take visits, if that would help the Pac-12 recruit. And I'm, okay, I'm hopeful that it will because kids may not want to go places sight unseen, especially if they see some other kids transfer. You know what I mean? Like they may be willing to say, "Oh, nah, man i I thought that uh, I thought that Carl was going to be cool, but nah, he came back home, so I'm going to consider not leaving as well." So I think it may, but I also understand it. It may be wishful thinking as well. Yeah. Um- so I, the narrative in my mind makes sense. You did just have Keon Grace take a visit to Columbus and commit um, to, you know, and so I think for some of these kids having to be around their families 24 hours a day might actually drive them to the far reaches of the earth. Um, I think if, uh, if, if college football, if, if uh, NCAA college football expanded itself out into Nova Scotia and Greenland and Iceland, I think you might actually see some California recruits end up out there just based on the fact that they need to put some distance between themselves and their families right. after the, after the last 360 days or so. Um, and that's understandable, but for everybody else and a lot of the parents I've talked to, um, the idea of because a, a lot so a lot of these parents have actually gone quite a long time without seeing their own parents right yeah. i was talking to a friend who lives in san diego who has an 18 month old son and his dad lives in west virginia and he's never met his kid and they're yeah. very close very close and so i think we're also kind of redefining the importance of some of these um some of these relationships and so it's very possible that the the flood of kids that you see come out of Washington, Oregon, um, California, and Arizona into uh, Big 12 country, Big 10 country, and even the SEC on occasion might slow down a little bit, especially when you're talking about some of the um, three-star recruits who had started that process. And then the, the argument against that is you see a school like Arizona State has actually had an easier time landing kids out of the state of Florida um, than than they ever had. They, then they'd even been recruiting in North Carolina and Virginia as well, I believe. And may and I think they whether they dropped him or not, I can't remember. But they'd even gotten a kid out of New York, and so um, it could go one way or the other. I guess it just depends on the family and their value system and what they're looking for. But I will tell you that the conversation has really shifted. The conversations I'm having with parents have really shifted to them prioritizing at least a couple of the schools on the list being ones that they'll have the ability to, to visit. Um, You're also running into an interesting situation with the transfer portal in which you have more parents than ever keeping lines of communication open with yeah, coaches with old school, that you would yeah. typically break off. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because after one year at, at a school, you might end up at, at your second choice. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's important for parents and those kids to keep those lines of communication open. So hopefully it does impact the PAC 12 in a, in a positive way. Cause we need as much help recruiting as we can get at this point in time, because you can't just have Oregon and USC in the top 10. Right. How is your, how is your perspective shifted as a parent of, of a, a prospect who's still a couple of years away, but how is your perspective shift just going through this pandemic? Did it, did it put you in a situation of saying like, okay, like it, I'm looking at uh, the idea of accessibility um, a little bit differently than I was before. <sighs> okay. My kids are 2024. So honestly, I haven't put a lot of thought into it. If if he were a 2023, I would probably be considering that more because I was like, oh, hold up. What if what if this thing flares up? What if something else happens? So but I am considering. All right. Just in the off chance. What if something does happen? Like, what if there's some other type of emergency? Like, I want my kid closer to me. So. I believe that my kid will stay on the West Coast. I'm not going to make his decision for him, but I think the most likely places for him, if I were to guess right now, per, provided he gets offers to, to these places. You know what I mean? Like, like let, let's just say all 12 Pac-12 schools offer him. At this point in time, I think that he would choose to go to Oregon because, I, because that's what he's always talked about. But uh, uh, aside from that, I think that his most likely option choices like the thing that he would choose would be Oregon probably first UCLA second and Stanford third Pro provided he had all 12 Pac-12 offers and they were all equal situations for for him that would be the order of the schools that that he would choose at today that may change two years from now but he would not go to Washington he would not go to Corvallis he would not go to Tucson, even though I almost went to Tucson. I liked it there. But uh, but yeah, so like that's where he would be at this point. Um, speaking of Tucson and Arizona, though. A player who I remember, <laughs> I think we either went on our recruiting trip together or I met him while I was on my recruiting trip to Arizona at, or when I was in high school, I don't, I don't remember where I met Bobby Wade at, but he was a really good receiver for the Arizona Wildcats. Like, I would say he was one of their better receivers in the last 20 years, like him. And right before that, you would have to say like Dennis Northcutt. Um, yeah, like he, he would probably be the second. Would you say he's the second best Arizona wide receiver behind Dennis Northcutt in the last like 25 years. He's up there. He's up there and he's kind of like a combo guy. Like your Christian Kirk or speedy Noyle does yep. a little bit of everything. A lot of special teams. Um, they've certainly had some good players. I think they, they think they have a receiver uh, with the 49ers right now. Um, they got a, uh, they got an athlete who rivals him just as far as ability. We haven't really seen it yet, but uh, they got Jabari Joyner down there. Um, but as far as like production and then going on to have an eight, nine year NFL career, um, 
it's hard to it's hard to uh, put a whole lot of people above Bobby Wade. And then um, you're also talking to me, who thinks that Bobby Wade is the greatest high school football player I've ever seen. So um, I'm definitely somebody who uh, is not objective when it comes to Bobby Wade because he was a senior in high school when I was a freshman in high school. Uh, when I first started to get into into prep football and just loving um, the environment and the Friday nights and everything like that, he was the best player on the planet. Um, and, you know, the planet being like the Phoenix metro area <laughs> that, that I lived in at the time. Yeah. And uh, and people might say like, oh, yeah, well, not a lot of people came out of Arizona back then. And, you, and you're just like limited in your mindset. Mind you, when I was saying that Bobby Wade was the best high school football player on the planet, I was teammates with Terrell Suggs. So, like, it it, it actually, like, I, it, there was some level. There, Richie Incognito was out here, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and, and a few other guys. Um, but to me, Bobby Wade was the guy. So when he went down to U of A, he had a pretty – he got in a little bit of trouble when he got down there, and he had a pretty successful career afterward and then was in the NFL for, for a long time. I think yeah. did some he did some damage with the Bears. Yeah, if I'm yeah, remembering correctly. Yeah. And then he um and then yeah, he's been helping Phoenix kids out ever since. Uh and he just got his first college coaching job. And you would think University of Arizona would be the perfect place for for him to uh get on considering they've got this whole it's personal campaign and they're bringing in all these alumni. Um, including Rob Gronkowski and Teddy Bruschi, who are going to coach against each other in the spring game. They're doing everything they can to bring in all these alumni. And Bobby Wade instead got a job at? Arizona State. What do you think about that, man? So my best friend is one of the – is a recruiting assistant at Washington State right right now. It feels weird. But the other thing is is that you you have to remember that – their college allegiance matters that if you gave Bobby Wade, the offensive coordinator job at, at Arizona state, would he take it? Absolutely. But at the same time, these are people's careers and you have to make the best move for, for you. And ultimately would he take a head coaching job at Arizona? Probably. But at the, but at the same time, this is this is your career. This is your life. And you have to make the best move in terms of like did despite your allegiance. Like it's it's about your your family and your career at that time. Okay. Um, so with with that being said, uh Bobby Wade gave an interview to Brad Denny. And Brad Denny, uh, who actually listens to, to this show and is one of the coolest guys in the entire world. Um, he has a podcast out here in Arizona called Speak of the Devils, and he interviewed Bobby Wade. And this is one of the quotes that Bobby Wade gave because you're you're talking about like just taking the opportunity that's available to you. Um, does this hurt his opportunity to maybe be a coach on staff in Tucson someday? He said, no. "Quote: What I really think ticks Wildcats off is that I'm picking where I want to coach, and I am picking Arizona State. That heats up the rivalry just a little bit more." Yeah, I, th- I think that he's right. I think he's 100% right. And I also think that you're on a whole nother side note because your boy Brad Denny tagged me in a tweet. Oh, yeah? This is a very notable tweet for this podcast. Reese, I actually, hold up. I will just pull it up. Okay. I will pull it up on, on, on here. You continue talking about Bobby Wade. Well, I say he's not the only guy, right? Because you got Antonio Pierce, 
And so, um, whereas I, I think Antonio Pierce had one year in the desert and I think his allegiance to the city of Tucson isn't necessarily, um, at the level as somebody who would actually, you know, have been a four year, uh, player there or would have a degree or whatever. Um, you, you see more than one wildcat on the Arizona state coaching staff. Um, and, 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 uh, it, d- it does make you wonder like how that flavors the, the rivalry. Then again, Herm Edwards is all about the NFL model. And for Bobby Wade, uh, to be on that staff, it's probably more about his NFL experience than it is about, um, who he was in college. Although Arizona state is making the claim that with, with a hire like this, that they want, uh, some juice in local recruiting. And I'm not sure even Bobby Wade can help with that when they have the perspective that they have as a school, which is cast a wide net nationally. And they don't do, as you have stated time and time again, they don't do a good job uh, recruiting the state of Arizona or put in enough effort. It's um, not their priority is, yeah. is the more Just say it in the right it. way, Ralph. Just it's, it, it's okay. But, but here's the tweet. <laughs> Here is the tweet. So everybody knows Actually, I'm going to we need to see Ralph's face when he reads the uh, tweet cuz he's going to see it for the first time right now. <laughs> yes. Uh, 40 minutes ago. I didn't bring it up when he first did, but here it is. Reese's he, he said Taylor made for George Reister, I guess. Reese's is launching peanut butter cup without any chocolate. Boom. You have, they get it. Reese's gets it. Yeah, but this is the, okay, timeout, 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 timeout. Because this is the opposite of what you would want. If Reese's just made like a chocolate cup, all chocolate, I thought your issue was with like sugary peanut butter, I thought. Or is it the actual mix of the flavors? It's the mix of the flavors because peanut butter and chocolate are horrible together. I mean, like it's, it, it's all, it's Every worse. single one of our reviews is going to one star. It is worse than, as we've talked about, you guys can go back and listen. I have detailed how bad the, Reese's peanut butter cups, Reese's pieces. Uh, Reese's pieces don't even have chocolate in them. That's what I'm saying. Reese's pieces just, are terrible, too. No, they but do that's have chocolate what, coating on the outside. It's candy coating. It's like M&M coating. I don't think it's chocolate. No, it, there's a chocolate coating on the outside. But somebody, a candy scientist, please settle this. There's no chocolate okay. in a Reese's Pieces. Okay. Reese's Pieces, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, <laughs> uh, Peanut Butter Snickers is a, a way to ruin a Snickers. Um, it, peanut Butter and Chocolate don't go together, d- despite people's terrible palates uh, think, thinking that it's good together. So Reese's This is like 99% of the population versus 1% of the population. No, it's, no, it, no it's not. You guys just think, and and we are not going to be a part of your cancel culture. We're, we're, we're not Who going is to. we? Name one other person on the entire planet that thinks peanut butter and chocolate don't go together. Text us on the secret text also line <laughs> if you think that peanut butter and chocolate don't go together. 818 818- Two nine three five seven four seven eight one eight two nine three five seven four seven secret text also line. Yeah, we will have this debate, Ralph. I'm sorry. And so Reese's gets it. They did the right thing, chopping that nasty. This ass. doesn't make sense to me. This doesn't make sense to me. If you don't like Reese's Pieces, why would you look at uh, re- all peanut butter Reese's and say that's going to be good? 
No, no, no. I'm I'm not excited about it. I'm just saying it's 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 a huge step up from a regular Reese's piece. Then a so re- you're saying that you feel seen and acknowledged. Yes, I feel seen. I and this will probably be Reese's top selling thing of all time. <laughs> okay, outside of me not understanding you in this moment, I would eat the hell out of this, and I'm very excited. Hold on, but I do love Snickers though. Snick Snickers is the best candy candy bar. So you're cool with chocolate being mixed with nougat. You're cool with ch- chocolate being mixed with caramel, and then even more mind-blowingly <laughs> insane, you're cool with chocolate being mixed with peanuts. Yeah, just not peanut butter. Correct. Do you just not chew the peanuts? Because that's basically what makes peanut butter. Do you chew less when you eat a Snickers? Um, Do you swallow I, it whole? A Reese's Pieces peanut butter is not the same. The way that they coagulate that that stuff, that's not the way peanut butter is. Like so. Hashtag George Reister eats Snickers without chewing. Get it trending. <laughs> um. All right. So I, I just thought that was cool. The next thing up is... um. Shout out, Brad Denny. <laughs> So the uh, Pac-12 refs. Oh, well, we're going to – oh, we are going super long now. So I don't even know if we're going get, to get to the Pac-12 cities until next episode. But We can save the Pac-12 cities, but let's let, – I, I just want your reaction to Larry Kristowiak getting reprimanded. Yes. Oh, no, 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 no. We, we weren't going to skip that. Okay. So Larry Kristowiak, who is the Utah head coach, you can tell him what happened, Ralph. Uh, so t- Timmy Allen, who is from the great state of Arizona. No? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Timmy <laughs> Allen, who's been, I, I feel like he's been Utah's best player for the last couple of years. Kind of that Charles Barkley undersized power forward body. Um, he got called for a double dribble when Utah had the ball um, down 65-64 at um, Oregon. Uh, on that uh, real busy court they have out there in Eugene. and Which is the best court in the Pac-12. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, we'll leave that for a debate for another time. But uh, it, there was a loose ball, and it looked like Timmy Allen never had possession, which is pretty much the unanimous thing that everybody's saying, uh, is, that, is that Timmy Allen didn't necessarily have the ball, um, but when he was able to gather the ball, when he went to dribble it, he was whistled for a double dribble, and that was with just a, a few seconds left. Um, and so instead of having the opportunity to to hit a game winner in that scenario, the ball gets turned over to Oregon. Utah is forced to foul. They hit a couple of free throws. They're up 67-64, and Timmy Allen uh, ends up missing a, um, a half-court shot to try to tie the game. Um, Deldre Carr was the, was the referee. Um, and Larry Kristowiak was pretty pissed about it. And this was his post game comment. He said, wow, all I can say is wow. So first of all, starting off with the, uh, the, the pretty good, um, all I can say is wow. And then you continue oh, so, on to say something so he else. Listens to rice or wrong. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but yeah, so he, um, when you say all I can say is wow. And then you immediately start talking again is one of my favorite things. Cause so he said, you, that's not all you could say. 
Exactly. He said, we scrapped, we played our butts off, and it wasn't error-free by any means. We made plenty of mistakes. Oregon made plenty of mistakes. Dana Altman made plenty of mistakes. But I think at the end of the day, we let the players determine a game. To make up a call at the end that didn't even happen, that is mind-boggling. And so uh, the Pac-12 reprimanded him without finding him, but it's the second time in two years because last year, seven foot four freshman Matt Van Komen got a technical for hanging on the rim when there was a player underneath him uh, and, and Kristoyak snapped. And uh, when that happened um, and by snapped, I mean, he just said it wasn't the proper call to make at the time. And I had no problem with the officiating. I like all those guys, but it was BS at the end. So um, it's actually pretty tame comments, but you're not allowed to comment on the officiating publicly at all. Uh, and we've seen more and more Pac-12 basketball head coaches, whether it's Bobby Hurley or Sean Miller or now Larry Kostowiak, repeatedly going after these refs despite the Pac-12 rules that you're not supposed to actually comment on this stuff. So this is the right thing. I do not have a problem with the coach, with Coach Kostowiak, commenting on this because he understands that the Pac-12 refs are terrible. The Pac-12, like just wants to shoot you, you know, you know, uh, piss, piss in the rain, wind and tell you it's raining. So I get that the conference policy is that you're not supposed to comment on the officials, but he wasn't wrong. Like he wasn't wrong. What does it say that they didn't find him? That says that they know that he wasn't wrong. Publicly reprimand. Okay, cool. Like that's a that's a slap on the wrist. I have no problem with that. the The conference is supposed to do that, but finding him when you knew when you know that Larry Michael Scott put you in this predicament, no way, Jose. I'm not in on that. Yeah, I just it's I think it's becoming more and more common for these coaches to to speak out, and I think that the progressive thing for the conference to do would be to remove that. Um to remove that completely and just uh, like fans just want access and they just want accountability. Like it would be fantastic in all leagues, not just the PAC 12. If you had media access to the officials after the game so that they were able to explain what they felt they saw in the moment. And also that if you would open officials up to the idea that maybe they didn't make the right call and you could see that they're human because I think one of the things that um, we see the ire toward officials growing more and more year over year and part of the reason that I think it's getting so out of hand even at like the club basketball level and just culturally people just hating officials and feeling like they can say whatever they want to them is that that the accessibility of officials has never really been there and I think it was set up in a way to sort of protect them and I think it's had the opposite effect we don't look at them as human beings and therefore we kind of um, pop off at them like they are not. Uh, and so I'd like to see improved accessibility in all sports, but it'd be cool if the Pac-12 would lead the way and be able to say like, hey, we have one representative official that you're able to um, ask a few post-game questions of uh, and then allow the coaches to just express how they feel. Because if you allow the coaches to express how they feel about the officiating, then it won't just come when it's um, like, a, like a tea kettle, right? Letting yeah. off steam. Yep. Um, and I, I personally, I feel like that would be more healthy. Maybe it would just make things 10 times worse. But anything's got to be better than the way that we're doing things now. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I I can agree with that. I can agree with that on some level because uh, it it has been an utter disaster with what's going going on, and ultimately that that impacts how people view view the conference and how they view you know them making the tournament. So right now, I just uh, the bracketology changes from literally from day to day. And as we are recording right now, you have the Pac-12 is predicted to get four teams in the tournament. The highest seed that it has so far, it has USC as a six seed, UCLA as a nine seed, Oregon as a nine seed, and Colorado as a five seed. Okay. And, um, but the two teams who are on top of the conference standings are UCLA and Oregon. I'm right. confused. <clears throat> Maybe overall strength of schedule. I This has been a, another weird season where it's kind of hard for me to take things seriously. Um, you know, uh, Arizona State has played like what? Uh, tw- 21 total games, whereas a lot of uh, teams have played. You, you have uh, Colorado's played 26. They've been able to get most of their games in. Washington State just canceled on on ASU after they were supposed to do a back-to-back. Um, you just it, – it, it's been a mess. Cal has been terrible. Washington is just god-awful right now. Um, you, Utah, surprisingly, is, is is having a real rough year. The interesting thing to me about the conference, and this is just outside of me saying, I, first of all, I think there should be five teams, and I think it should be a toss-up between Stanford and Oregon State. Obviously, we'll see what happens in the Pac-12 tournament, or if teams are even able well, to complete Stanford, the Pac-12 Stanford tournament. Stanford was as far as they were on the first four out line, but then, uh, which is confusing to me. But, well, actually, they they lost to Washington State, Oregon. And then Oregon State back to back to back. So right, so they're they're definitely in a free fall right now. And the weird thing about Stanford's season is they are the only team in the entire Pac-12 that has not had an extreme home court advantage. Most of the teams in the Pac-12, I mean, it's goofy every year home court advantage in basketball, but this year it's been completely absurd. UCLA is eleven and zero at home and five and four on the road. USC is twelve and two at home and six and three on the road, the most extreme example. Um, well, there's two Colorado's 10 and one at home and six and six on the road. Yes. And then you have Cal university of California, one and 11 on the road, six and eight at home. So Stanford is really the only team in the conference, um, that isn't experiencing that huge swing between home and away. Stanford's only had six home games all year, and they're two and four. They're actually playing better on the road than they are at home. Whereas most of the, and, and then another extreme example, you have Washington State, eleven and five at home, three and six on the road. Utah, seven and four at home, three and seven on the road. So I, I don't know what's going on this year that teams are just completely unable to play on the road, especially because there aren't fans. Um. I, I just don't know what's going on. It's it's really, really hard for me to uh, explain why travel is taking so much out of these kids at this time. Um, but because Stanford hasn't defended home court and really hasn't really had many opportunities to defend home court, uh, they are 
free falling out of this, which I think is opening things up for, for Oregon state. Um, you know, and then you have some teams that possibly have an outside shot in the PAC 12 tournament, like Utah, Arizona state, but I would not put my money behind either one of those teams right now. Yeah. I think that, that the PAC 12 is suffering from the same thing that the football does is that they're not getting enough credit right, right now that they're not getting enough credit for how good the conference is overall. Because we only there's only one ranked team, correct? Yes, and it was USC, and now it's Colorado. Okay. And this is uh, after McKinley Wright the fourth just got his fourth Pac-12 Player of the Week because he's he's been balling out for sure. Yep, exactly. He's the one I I, I would like to. Uh, I hate that. Um, I hate that Chris Smith tore his ACL for UCLA, and I, it's it, it's pretty fun to imagine what UCLA would actually be doing this year if they still had him uh, on the court after he decided to forego his NBA dream and return to, to UCLA. Um, I think that's super unfortunate, but to see what they've been able to do without him is pretty cool. But as far as just star power in the NCAA tournament, I think what everybody's looking forward to is seeing the, the, the USC Trojan twin tower brothers, right. Yeah. Um, playing and, and people want to see McKinley right. And then obviously, you know, even though University of Arizona's had a decent year, they don't get to play in the tournament because they surrendered uh, that right based on um, a whole bunch of stuff that we've gotten into on plenty of other podcasts uh, that they may or may not be guilty of. So I don't know, man, who, who would you, who do you think has the best chance to make a run? USC, just because they're huge, dude. Like they may be the biggest team in the country, so if they get in the tournament, I think that they that they're a team who can make a run. Obviously, they have holes, all of that, but they do have some veterans. The veteran teams typically do do better. I don't think that you can discount Dana Altman because his teams just always play better in in February and March. Like something Something about it. Like, they start slow sometimes, but they just crescendo as the season goes on. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you 100%, but what I want to see um, is I want to see Colorado make a run. I think that's what I'm excited about because – Why, why Wright, do you want that as opposed to – like, why is that your desire to see them make a run as opposed to anybody else? Because guard play in the tournament is my favorite thing. I'm not that different than than anybody else. And you have McKinley Wright, who's in his fourth year at Colorado and has averaged 14, 13, 14, and 15. He has just been consistently grinding away, delivering the same solid performance every single night, except for this year, he made a jump up to what he was doing his sophomore year, shooting almost 50% from the field. Um, he's still not a good three-point shooter, uh, but he reminds me a lot of um, – I uh, remember Jahee Carson – who yeah. could go off for 20, 25 every single night, but he was more of a, he's a six footer who a six footer who really liked to um, uh, get to the rim and then kick out. Uh, yeah. I just, I just want to see a good guard play in the tournament. I'm, I'm boring like that. And I think McKinley Wright the fourth is, is our best shot to, to kind of create a star uh, that not a whole lot of other people would be, would have been aware of outside of the, um, 
outside of the Pac-12 bubble because Colorado hasn't really uh, been able to kind of get over the hump. They've had some really good wins in the Pac-12 over the last few years. And I think that, uh, you know, um, they, they also, their, their coach is a little bit ornery and, and the more press conferences that he gets uh, in front of, even, even if they happen over Zoom in front of the national media, I think the more fun we'll have. Yeah, one one hundred percent. I one hundred percent agree with you. Um, you got. I think that's it. Yeah. Um, you guys, thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12. Oh, oh my God, I forgot to say something. I read a tweet and I thought it was awesome um, because they were talking about because one of the teams that we talked about not make that we didn't even mention making the tournament is Arizona, and and. I think it's a sad state of affairs when either UCLA or Arizona is not in the tournament for the Pac-12. I think it's a huge indictment on Sean Miller. And a tweet read, I, I forgot I forgot to note who said it, so I apologize. Um, it said, Sean Miller is Clay Helton with an FBI scandal. Oh, man. Uh... I don't know about that because, first of all, Clay Helton's nice. I don't think anybody's accused Sean Miller of <laughs> being nice, warm, and and inviting as a person. Um, and also, I don't think anybody's accused Clay Helton of being an elite recruiter, like on his own. Yeah, Sean Miller gets players, and of course, I'm opening and myself then, up and to they, and they can't coach them. There have been a lot of players that are very good come through University of Arizona that I do not feel like he has gotten the most out of, yeah. especially people who aren't guards. Yep. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's the, I, I don't see the comparison there, but it is funny. It did make me laugh. <laughs> um, you guys, 818-293-5747. Oh, we got a transfer. We got a transfer what, right before the, the deadline. Jaden Casey, Cal quarterback. Who is he? Jaden Casey, uh, your boy Rudy Carpenter used to to, to train him. I think. Oh, he just, was 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 he one of the kid? Was th- was that the kid that was? Um... <laughs> Are you gonna add? So my theory that his dad is the one who leaked the uh, the Pac twelve coalition yes. stuff. It was a theory. I can't back it up with anything, but I do know that. Uh, Rudy was the one to break that news, and this is a kid that he trains, and he's at Cal. Um, so the possibility exists. I don't think Rudy liked that I said that very much, but um, yeah. So you just you, you just had uh, a Jaden Casey announced that he is leaving Cal, which is um, which is uh, definitely interesting because I thought that they had you know, four pretty good uh, quarterbacks there, and he's doing it right before uh, spring ball. Um, and uh, and then you also had uh, was it Kale Millen? Yeah, yeah, he's going former to Oregon quarterback, Arizona, Northern Arizona with Aaron Flugrad, former Oregon Duck and Arizona State Sun Devil, uh, who is a hell of an offensive coordinator. So, assuming they get Aaron Flugrad to stick around, which I highly doubt, he's going to be very sought after. Yeah, um, then he's going to be really coached up there. Yep. So hopefully it works out for him. You guys, thank you guys for listening to Right or Wrong. Um, I'm surprised. Not Reister or wrong. Oh my god! <laughs> you did that on Reister wrong. You called it Pac-12 Apostles. Oh my god, dude! I, I was surprised that you didn't comment on my on my shirt today. 
in my defense, I was left unsupervised. I did see, um, it is funny in relation to the fact that your uh, wife called you out on social media for the way that you dress your youngest son. <laughs> I, you and the, I wasn't even the one who did it is the, the, the funny part about it. She just accused me because that it, he was running around the house like what what is he supposed to be wearing? They look like normal kid clothes to me. They just drool on him anyway. Dude, no, no, no. She wants him to look like a model at all times. I okay, okay. Uh, wow. Messy kids are cute kids too. Hey, I one hundred percent. You weren't even messy. It looked like again. It looked like normal clothes. But I thought the shirt was uh, was a, a, a living subtweet of what your wife put on social media. That was my initial thought. <laughs> All right, thank you guys for listening to Pack Twelve Apostles <laughs> podcast. Oh, yeah. So catch you guys next week. <laughs>